0: Hi, my name's Matt, and this is a podcast about life after the coronavirus vaccine. Welcome to episode 24. Another Monday, another Downing Street press conference. The risks let's have a listen to what they have to say good afternoon and thank you for joining us like millions of people across this country i woke up this morning sad and rueful but also filled with pride and hope and with thanks to gareth southgate and the whole england squad for the best campaign by any england team in any tournament I can remember. A little more cautious in tone, a little more measured in rhetoric, if not in practice, a little more, dare I say, somber. Turning now to step four of our roadmap, we've come to a stage in the pandemic when there is no easy answer and no obvious date for unlocking. We have cases rising significantly with more than thirty thousand a day, and we can see what is happening across Europe as the delta variant takes hold among our friends. We know we're going to see more hospitalizations and more deaths from Covid. But we also know that this wave was clearly foreseen by our scientists when we first set out that roadmap in February. But it is what it is. England's unlocking on July 19th will go ahead. I'm not sure I have tonight much more to add to that than I did a few days ago when I recorded last week's episode. In a number of work discussions today, there has been talk of what September might bring and for the most part, I'm letting as many of those decisions wait where I can. So much can change over the course of the next few months, I'm allowing myself a little time and a little space to just let things unfold. So instead, I'm sitting here at my laptop on Monday, typing away as if I were some kind of Carrie Bradshaw, not thinking so much about the press conference this evening and thinking more about the beautiful afternoon I've had. An afternoon visiting my friend Alice, her boyfriend Will and their beautiful new baby boy Julian. Nothing soothes the soul like the warmth that comes from time with old friends. Even when the rain today caused the roads to flood so badly, it felt nearly apocalyptic when driving home. It's a beautiful thing to see a friend thrive as a new mum with a totally adorable little newborn. Babies that age, it's all sleeping, pooping and feeding. It's entirely consuming and I honestly don't know if I could ever have that in me. But to watch someone who does and has... And is doing it so well, it makes you proud as a friend. It's also a little strange to remember that, that that used to be us. Our little legs held up in the air, bare bum for all to see with a parent over us covered in our poop. I watch my friends soothe and feed and change and feed and put to sleep and feed little Julian. It reminds me that we all have within us the potential for making it through. Qualities we've drawn upon so many times over the past year and more. The ones I think we may need to draw upon again, both for ourselves and for others over the coming months. And then, on Monday night, I laid in bed, listening to the rain as it fell, its sporadic sound strangely soothing in the way only rain can be. And I remembered the rain recordings quickly deployed to get little Julian to sleep. We may be over 30 years apart in age and as we all grow up we may no longer have someone to lay us on the ground lift our little legs in the air and wipe our butts with cotton wool but on other things like the calming effect of the sound of rain we never grow out of and never change. But thinking about Julian's rain sounds played from an iPhone they sound very soothing but they miss the smell of summer rain. It's a very particular smell, and with it comes flooding back nostalgic memories of summer's past. Of course, Julian doesn't have any summer memories to be nostalgic about yet. It is both the blessing and the curse of being young that you don't know and couldn't know, even if you were told you are making the kinds of memories that will jolt you awake from sleep as you lay in bed at night and catch the sound and smell of summer rain through a half open window. For Julian and for all of us, I hope this summer smells good. I hope it smells of campfires and barbecues and ice cream and sun cream and the salty sea and freshly salted fish and pungent vinegar chips and freshly sugared cinnamon donuts, in the morning dew and the evening rain. I hope this summer smells good in a way no Instagram story or Facebook post will ever capture. In a way that even the briefest hint of those smells in the years to come will bring treasured memories flooding back, even if we can't quite remember why. I really hope this summer smells good. So I've started listening to a new audiobook. It's called The 2000s Made Me Gay and it's narrated by its author Grace Perry. It is, at least in the opening few chapters I've enjoyed so far, a charming and entertaining tour of 2000s pop culture and a reflection on how, despite its title, the decade didn't make its author gay, but it did shape the particular type of gay they became. In the opening chapters, through reality TV shows, Grey's Anatomy, Harry Potter, Mean Girls and More, Grace plots lines of connection between the way the culture of the 2000s presented queer characters and the effect it had on her growing up and coming out. In England this week, we've been having what feels like a national conversation about the England football team and the type of role models they have become. For many, they represent the qualities of solidarity, cultural diversity and an image of masculinity far less toxic than the one we have celebrated in men for far too long. The way they have stood and knelt in solidarity with each other has been misunderstood by some and purposefully misrepresented by others. But to many, we recognise a team that share the values we share. Values that were undoubtedly shaped by the 2000s popular culture, making us, if not gay, then a little more accepting. It is perhaps one of life's great puzzles that the culture that those in the generation before us created for us, the one they raised us in, shaped people whose values they sometimes struggle to understand. Of course, it's not entirely generational and it's not so simply divided, but. There are generational trends and it makes me wonder what are the parts of the culture we're creating today, the one that will raise Julian and my nieces and nephews and the children of their age? What are the trends that will translate into generational changes I will struggle to understand? Who are the role models, queer and otherwise, who they will look back on as flawed and imperfect and frustratingly deficient? but as the best they had and the ones who shaped their understanding of themselves and the world around them. It's Tuesday night and I've just watched a video from Dr John Campbell. As always, his calm, steady, carefully considered and well-informed approach is soothing. The way he passes on and links to the scientific research and papers he shares from is as reassuring as it is empowering. Today, he walks through the SAGE paper outlining the advice given to the English government from its own scientific advisory group ahead of the final removal of restrictions on July 19th. In it, they outline the wide variance in the modelling for the next few months, and in particular, how wide the range of possibilities is for the outcomes of the coming months, based mostly on the huge unknown that is how much will our behaviour change when legal restrictions are lifted. In it, they show two graphs, one very steep and very tall, showing hospitalizations rising high and quickly based on people going back to pre-pandemic behaviour almost all at once. In a second, they show a lower peak and a shallower curve based on people returning to normal, more slowly, over five months. And in the spirit of taking personal responsibility, as we're all encouraged to do, they suggest things we can do to help slow the transition back between now and autumn. Working from home where and when we can, wearing a face mask in enclosed spaces, socialising outside where possible and letting fresh air in when it's not. And you know what? For me, they all feel very possible. Kind of made me feel a little more in control, a little more comfortable, a little more able to face the next few months. And it contrasts rather notably with the government's advice and support to former shielders which essentially amounts to avoiding unvaccinated people and going to the shops at less busy times. It's disempowering and based on responses from charities today it leaves many feeling less comforted and less able to face the months ahead. Of course we all wish we knew more. We delayed this step of easing of restrictions by four weeks. <laughs> Imagine if that time had been spent better, helping us to make more informed, more empowered decisions for ourselves and those around us. Imagine if they had been spent preparing businesses and public services and individuals with ways of working that may, in the end, be voluntary, but are at least well informed. What a difference that might have made. <laughs> So it's Friday evening again and I'm sitting down to put this week's episode together and I'm noticing how at the start of the week I was feeling pretty good. The weather was picking up and I guess I was starting to at least see the start of a way forward. But as the week's gone on I've just found that even small worries or little problems have really felt like they're wiping me out. And whilst running this morning I think I realised why. Running through Royal Victoria Country Park, even though we've not had any rain since the start of the week, so much of the ground is still wet. And yes, Monday's rain was apocalyptically heavy, but the flooding that it caused wasn't the result of a short blast of rain. The ground, still wet from the weeks of rain before, hadn't had a chance to fully dry out. And so even short hits of rain can cause all kinds of trouble. And honestly, I feel that. Emotionally, I feel that. And I I kind of feel it's like a great way of understanding where we are in this pandemic and why the next few months feel so precarious. Things have not had a chance to properly dry out, for cases to get sustainably low before we make more changes. And so it's been inevitable that things have gotten worse very quickly. Emotionally, I'm there too. I'm worn down by having to be on alert for so long. I've not had a chance to dry out emotionally. And so even small things find themselves causing what can feel like apocalyptic reactions. Luckily, I have three weeks booked off coming up very soon. And I am determined in that little break... To give myself some time to just dry out. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed it, you can follow the podcast on Spotify. Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. You can find the podcast on social media at Life After Vax, V A X, on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to reach out for a more meaningful connection, you can drop me an email hi at lifeaftervax.com. Until next time.